Would you open your Bible with me today to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6? And today we close this epistle. Can you believe eight and a half months going through the book of Ephesians? But now we are finally finishing it. Praise the Lord. (laughs) There's so much to learn here. Yes, we can praise God for that. There's so much to learn here in this letter that God has for us, that God is teaching us and will continue to teach us as we look to this letter. But we titled this message today, A Gracious Greeting. If you like taking notes, write that down, A Gracious Greeting. And we are reminded that as we open the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, the reason as to why he writes this book to them is so that they would understand not only doctrine, but they would also understand duty. Doctrine and then duty. What to know as far as what Christ has done for us, and then how to respond, what we are to do for him. It's not only important as to what we can do for God. First, we must know what he has done for us. Doctrine and duty in our lives should be inseparable. We should never separate doctrine and duty. We should not only be hearers, but we also should be doers. They, look, they work alongside one another. In fact, someone once said, doctrine should start in the head, now catch fire in the heart, and then create a life of flame with true obedience in the will. Today, doctrine should start in the head as we understand it, as we grow in the knowledge of God. It should then take a flame in the heart and then advance in the will as we obey that which we have received. And more than ever today, we need to be believers. Today, you need to be a man and God, a woman of God, who truly knows the Bible, that truly knows sound doctrine. You know, Satan may not be destroying the churches in America right now through physical persecution, but he is destroying the churches in America with false doctrine. (laughs) And we need to understand what is sound doctrine. That's why he opens this epistle very importantly here, the first three chapters, telling them about who they are in Christ. And he's divided this book, as we're going to do a quick overview before we conclude it, in regards to our personal walk with Christ. Where we are to sit, walk, and stand. Would you write that down? Sit, walk, and stand. And we went over this eight months ago as we began this epistle. First he talks about the benefits of the believer. Where do we sit? Where is our position? Where is our identity? And he says our position, he uses these words, in Christ. That's where our position is in Christ. Using that term 32 times in this letter, in Christ. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Where are our blessings found? In heavenly places. Our blessings are not earthly blessings. Although God does bless us here on earth, our blessings that we have eternally are heavenly blessings. And he talks about our identity. You see, we have to know who we are in Jesus. The reason why there's an identity crisis in the young generation of today, why people don't know who they are themselves is because they don't know God. So they try to find an identity outside of God, outside of God's will. They try to find an image outside of God, outside of God's will. He says here, I want you to remind you who and what your identity is. Your identity is that you've been redeemed. That means that you were delivered from the penalty of your sin. He has saved you. He has set you free from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin. But then he reconciled you. We all have been reconciled, chapter 1 and 2. We were separated from God. We were enemies with God, but he brought us back together. We're not set apart anymore from him. We're set apart for him now. And then after he reconciled us, now that we have a relationship, speaking of our justification, that we're right with God through Jesus Christ in Christ, he's adopted us. We belong to the family of God. How many of us can praise God for that? That Today, you belong to the family of God. We're all a family here. And because we're a part of that family, that means that we have an inheritance. 
That inheritance is every blessing in heavenly places where we sit. And we can be sure of that inheritance because we've been sealed. This is what he says in chapter 1 and 2. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've been reserved. The Holy Spirit on our lives is a guarantee that we will receive this inheritance. And he explains to us, by His grace you have been saved. His grace has saved you and His grace has transformed your life. You He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were all dead in our sin. We were dead in the world. But He made us alive because of Jesus Christ when He forgave us of our sins. In fact, that very well-known verse that we always quote when going to Ephesians chapter 2, what does it say? For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. There is nothing that you could have done, there's nothing that you can do today in and of yourself with your own good works to save yourself. You could have never saved yourself. Your good works do not save you. It was the grace of God. So he's explaining that this is where you sit. The benefits of the believer is that you're justified. And then after speaking of that, now he goes to the conduct of the believer. That our conduct should be consistent with our calling. That you should not just profess that you're a Christian with your lips, but also with your life. That there should be no inconsistencies in your life. That your conduct would be lived out as your calling. So he says, sit, but then walk the behavior of the believer. And this speaks of now your sanctification. Would you note that and write that down today? Your sanctification, chapters 4 and 5. We have justification, chapters 1 and 3. Sanctification, you've been separated for holiness, chapters 4 and 5 of Ephesians. And this has to do with the behavior of the believer. First the benefits, now the behavior of the believer. And he starts to talk about your walk. You should walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You should walk as imitators of God. You should walk in love. You should walk in light. You should walk in wisdom, speaking of the unity. Speaking that we as Christians, now that we've been saved, we need to be walking in love. That is the first characteristic of someone that is walking under the Spirit. Walking in unity as believers. Walking in now being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what does he say there? In chapter 5, it's going to affect your marriage. You're going to be submitted to God and then submitted to one another. It's going to affect your family, your children, your parenting. When you're submitted to the Holy Spirit, notice it even affects your life in the workplace. So walk as someone who is submitted to Christ. Sit, walk, and then finally chapter 6, stand. Sit, walk, and then stand. What is this? the battle of the believer. And that's what we turn it into a series, chapter 6, the battle of the believer, understanding that when you give your life to Christ, you are in a spiritual battle. And after we've learned the benefits, after we've learned the behavior, we understand the battle of the believer. What do we understand? We have an enemy. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Today, even as you go through warfare, understand the enemy is the devil. But God has given you everything you need to defeat the enemy. And what is it called? We talked about it. The armor of God. That is the equipment. And he's enabled us to use that equipment as we pray always. So when it comes to how you stand against the wiles of the enemy, notice there's an enemy, there's an equipment, there's an enablement through prayer. But now today we go to the encouragement. How many of you want to be encouraged today as we close this epistle? We're going to find some encouragement here in Ephesians 6. Because as we say the battle belongs to the Lord, know this, the battle is not to be fought alone. Remember that. Note that. Write that in the tablet of your heart today. The battle is not to be fought alone. That means that we're not fighting alone. This battle alone, even when sometimes it feels that way. You may oftentimes feel that you're lonely, but it doesn't mean you're alone. Notice, you belong to the family of Christ. There are other believers that are in this fight with us, 
that are standing with us, and we need to be very careful that we encourage one another in the battle. I mean, God brings certain people in your life that are going to encourage you so that you would walk together, that you would be grateful of your Christian fellowship, of your Christian friendships now that walk together to strengthen you in this Christian walk. And in God's family, relationships matter. Notice that. Relationships matter. Our relationship in Christ and our relationship in the church. What kind of relationships? Our relationships in Christ and our relationships in the church so that we can pray for one another. That's what you need to be serving in the body of Christ. Getting involved in the body of Christ. Everyone has a gift. Ephesians 4, you can pray for one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens. So the conclusion from verse 21 to 24 that we're going to read today illustrates to the believers the love and the oneness that Paul has been talking about. For six chapters, he talked about this love and oneness. Now he's going to demonstrate it and illustrate it in these four verses. So we're going to go over two major things in only four verses. Number one, the encouragement. And number two, the blessing. The encouragement and then the blessing. Would you stand with me this morning as we read God's word? And I'll read the odd verses and you would read the even verses out loud together. It would say this, Ephesians 6.21. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, as this epistle ends with amen, we also respond with amen in our hearts today. Lord, we thank you for how you have taught us our position in you, where we are to sit. Lord, that we receive blessings in heavenly places. Lord, that our identity is in you. Lord, we're grateful you've taught us how to walk through your word. That we should walk in light and not in darkness. That we should walk as children of light. And Lord, also you've taught us how to stand against the wiles of the devil. But Lord, as we close with this encouragement, this blessing, Lord, that you would also teach us how to apply these truths in our life daily. We ask this all in your name, in Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. You may be seated. Now you notice there in verse 21 how he begins this encouragement. He starts with that word of conjunction where he says, but. And when he says but, he's referring to everything that is mentioned previously. So he's saying in light of everything that has been already mentioned, taught, doctrines that have been established, and you get to know here in this verse Paul's pastoral heart, his love for these people. He's getting towards the end of this letter that he's writing to the Ephesians who needed this message, who were going through false teachings in Ephesus, who were worshiping now the goddess Diana of sensuality, who were listening to new ideas. But you start to see here now that he says, but that you also may know of my affairs and how I'm doing. Now you see here his pastoral heart and concern for the church. Because he says, I want you to know how I'm doing, my affairs. Not only how I'm doing, I want you to know what I'm doing. And I'm going to send you a full report. I'm going to send you an update. Here you have Paul, a prisoner chained to a Roman guard. Notice, in difficult circumstances, in difficult situations. But he stayed accountable. He stayed connected. He was still in fellowship with the church as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the pastoral care comes out here at the end of the epistle because he's been sensitive now to the believers. And he's saying, I don't want you to be concerned about me. 
I, I, I do not want you to be overwhelmed about me. He's being sensitive about their welfare. He's saying, I want you to know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. Here you have a leader who communicates well. We need to learn how to communicate well in order to cultivate the unity in the body of Christ. It's been said before that communication closes the door on the devil. <laughs> Have you ever noticed maybe sometimes you're thinking that someone is assuming one thing, but they truly are not? Or maybe you think that they have bad intentions or because you haven't heard from them, you assume the worst. Well, communication closes the door on the devil. And he's saying, I'm communicating to you because I want you to know and I don't want you to be worried or concerned about me. I'm here to serve you. So what does he do? He has now a trusted messenger. And that's what we're going to talk about today. He says, Tychicus a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you. Who is it that we're going to mention today? Tychicus. Someone asked me yesterday and even this morning, you know, what are we going to talk about today? Where are we going next? In Ephesians, I said, well, we're going to finish Ephesians and we're going to talk about Tychicus. And they said, who? Who's Tychicus? We never usually think about Tychicus. Have you ever said, you know what, someone asked you, who do you want to be like? in the Bible, you never say, well, you know what, I want to be like Tychicus. But there is such a man who is a trusted messenger in Scripture who doesn't come up a lot in the Bible, but when he does, it's always to notate and to recognize his godly character. Now, Paul is sending Tychicus the bearer of this letter. He was a messenger. He was carrying the letter to the church of Ephesians. Not only did he carry this letter, but he also carried the letter to Colossians. Not that, that he also carried the letter to Philippians. He also sent that letter to Onesimus in regards to uh, Philemon. And you see that here, he's an active servant sent by Paul on several missionary journeys. Tychicus was also a missionary. I want you to know something. In order to reach people, you need to be mission-minded. <laughs> And Tychicus was mission-minded. He accompanied Paul uh, taking the offering to the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. There was a group of, of now leaders, of part of Paul's advance team, and Tychicus was one of them that took the offering to the church of Jerusalem. And he was not well-known, but he was effective. Would you remember that today? He was not well-known, but he was effective. I want you to know something today, this morning. You don't have to be well-known to be effective. So many people today in the social media world that we live in, in the culture and society that we think that we need to be popular in order to be effective. You don't need to be popular to be effective. You don't need to be well-known to be faithful or to be fruitful. He wasn't well-known, but he was important in the body of of Christ. How many of us know here that God uses the unknown? God uses the unknown. God uses those that are serving him in obscurity. In fact, some of the best messages, I want you to know this, are from pastors that people don't even know about. And God uses their lives. Paul himself referred to himself as an unknown in 2 Corinthians 6, 9, as he was talking about he was suffering to the church in Corinth. He said, we are also unknown. He refers himself as the unknown in the body of Christ. God uses who he chooses. And you know who he chooses? Oftentimes, the unknown. <laughs> the least, the little, the weak, so that he can get the glory. He doesn't use those that think that they have a very big personality, very dynamic, those that are very good looking, those that are articulate, so that, that they would think, well, look at it, it's because of me that God is using me. No. God uses the weak to put to shame those that are proud. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, this is what Paul tells the church of Corinth, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen, no, this is amazing, chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world 
to put to shame the things that are mighty. God doesn't use those that think that God is using them because of their gifts. God uses those who have the right heart so that God can get the glory. And notice this, God can use anyone. God can use anyone. I remember when we had planted a church a few years back with my wife and our family and seeing the Lord bless it, we started in our living room and as people were really excited about coming to this Bible study that we were doing during the week, uh, they were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in our living room. And after one of the studies, I overheard a conversation of, of one of the uh, guys that was going to the study. He was so excited about coming and ner- learning the Bible, and, and he was talking to a group of people there. He's saying, guys, God can use us. God can, I know that God can use us. Now, notice this. If God can use art, of course he can use us. And how true is that? How true is that? God can use anyone. We're examples that God can use anyone. I remember teaching at a pastor's breakfast that we have here for the LA pastors one time. And a pastor came up to me from the area and said, you know what, I was listening to you teach. And I was wondering, how come I don't know who this guy is? <laughs> and I thought, that's so awesome. Because it doesn't matter. What matters is the word of God. What matters is the message of God. Tychicus was a man who had the right credentials. Do you want to be used by God right now? You want to know what credentials matter? His credentials were his character. His credentials were his character. This is what it's going to take to reach people. Character, heart. Because Tychicus needed to travel in order to reach the Ephesian believers with this epistle. And in order to reach people, you need to have this type of godly character. Now we see four components to the godly character that God uses in Tychicus. Would you write these down? Number one, compassion. God is going to use people with compassion to reach other people. Then number two, faithfulness. God is looking for instruments that are faithful. Number three, servants. God wants servants to be ready to reach others with the gospel message. And then finally, endurance. Those that are willing to take the journey, go the distance in order to reach others that are unreached. And notice what he says there in verse 21. A beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. A beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Ask yourself, what would people say about you? In the ministry, at church, what would they say about you? If someone had to give you a recommendation, would they say this about you, that you're faithful, compassionate, servant, enduring in the ministry, in the work of the Lord? Because this is how Tychicus is described. And first of all, he says, a beloved brother. That is where we learn that he is compassionate. You cannot reach people if you do not have compassion, if you don't have love for them. Do you remember in the Gospels, what did Jesus say? He said that he saw the multitudes and he looked at them, he saw and he had compassion for the people. The difference between compassion and pity, you know what it is? It's pity, you feel sorry for people. And that's not what we have. Compassion is that you have a love for them, that you're willing to carry their burdens. And here Tychicus was a man that had compassion. He had the right heart. Some people say, well, God's going to use me because I'm so gifted or I'm so talented. You may be gifted and you may be talented, but do you have the right heart? Do you have compassion? He was a compassionate brother, but notice also it describes him there in verse 21, and faithful minister in the Lord. What was he also? Faithful. That's exactly what we need today in the body of Christ, compassionate people that are loving, that love God, that love people, that are loved by people because of their hearts, but also those that are faithful ministers in the Lord's work. That word minister in the Greek is diakonos. What is it? The word that we receive, the word deacon or servant. He's a faithful deacon. But most importantly, as he's describing Taiki, because he's saying, Here is someone that I can trust. If I'm going to send this message to the church of Ephesians, 
I need to send someone that I can trust. Today, it's very rare that you find people that you truly can trust, that are trustworthy people, that share the same heart, that are loyal. And these were the requirements that, that Paul had in order to send Tychicus with the letter to the Ephesians, that he would be a man that was flexible, someone that's humble, someone that shows integrity, someone that's like-minded. You see the dependability that he's describing in this man, that, that he would represent God well, that he would represent Paul well, but that he would represent the message well. Because he's not just the messenger, he's a representative. And Tychicus was willing to be second. Notice, he is not first, he is not the leader, he's the messenger. He's willing to be second so that the message can go forward as he has a servant's heart. He's not doing his own thing. And he says this about Tychicus. Notice, he'll make all things known to you. He's going to explain everything that I've shared in this letter with you. And I trust him because of his character to do this. You see, today we need to be those people in the body of Christ who want to serve the Lord, who want to be faithful ministers in the Lord's work, not self-promoters. Today, there's too many self-promoters that want to be known, that want to be recognized, that want to use the ministry as a way to promote themselves. He was not ambitious, Tychicus. He didn't have an agenda. He wasn't always trying to give his opinion on how he thought that things needed to be. He didn't want to be known. He didn't need the attention. Oftentimes, we use ministry or we do things in the name of ministry, but to get the attention ourselves. He wasn't wanting to build a brand. He was building the body of Christ. I'm going to ask you today, are you building the body of Christ as a faithful servant of the Lord? There are some people that every time they talk, they need to talk about themselves, about how it's their ministry, it's their thing. Nothing in ministry is yours. It's all the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord. And Tychicus was a faithful minister that was able to serve now the church in this way. Now, the reason why we look at these qualities is that not only he was compassionate, but that he was faithful because faithfulness needs to be a priority. It needs to be a virtue that we value in our day-to-day. Too many times we measure our lives by success instead of by faithfulness. We measure our lives based off of growth instead of faithfulness, based off numbers instead of faithfulness. We need to start thinking in faithfulness, in the will of God. Solomon said this, Proverbs 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim his own goodness. Most people like to talk about themselves. But who can find a faithful man? Who can find someone that is faithful, that, that doesn't think about themselves, that it's thinking about the work of the Lord? But who can find a faithful man? This is a requirement for those that are going to serve the Lord. What is the requirement? Faithfulness. It's a requirement. Paul told the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, those that thought that they knew everything, but they knew nothing, that were carnally influenced, he said this, moreover, it's required in stewards, in servants, that they be found faithful. You know what it says? It's required that you be found faithful if you want to serve the Lord. It's, it's not a recommendation. It's not a suggestion. It's not an opinion. This is mandatory, that you would be found faithful. We don't like that word mandatory, right? Sometimes we say, well, I was going to do it, but then you said it's mandatory, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I tell people here in the ministry, I said, you know what? If you don't want to say mandatory, you know, it's not mandatory. It's required. Same thing. You still have to do it because we're faithful in the Lord's work. In fact, in that parable that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, what did Jesus say? His Lord said to him, well done. Good and what? Faithful servant. He didn't say, well done, good and successful servant. Well done, good and dynamic servant or popular, well known. No, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. 
I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You're faithful over little things. I'm going to make you, notice what he says, a ruler over many things. So many times people want to be faithful over many things, but they don't want to be faithful over little things. You know what we need to learn how to do? To be little so that he can be louder in our lives. To say, Lord, I want to demonstrate my faithfulness to you. Be faithful not only when it's easy, also when it's difficult in the ministry. And then he says this, he is beloved brother. He's now faithful, but notice number three, he's a servant. And where do we find that he is a servant or that he has a reputation as a servant? Would you place a marker there in Ephesians? Turn to Colossians chapter four. Colossians four, verse seven. It speaks of the continual character of Tychicus. A man who God is using here to take this letter to the church of Ephesians. Colossians 4, verse 7 and 8, describe him in a very similar way. Tychicus, a beloved brother, verse 7. Faithful minister, the same as he's mentioned him in Ephesians. Notice how he says, and fellow servant. Here he calls him a servant. In the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstance and comfort your hearts. What does he call him here? He calls him a servant. He calls him a servant. That is the reputation, the character of Tychicus. He's a servant. He wants to serve people. You know what it takes to be a servant? Humility. Humility. That's what it takes, that you know that you're not there to be served. You're there to serve other people. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus gave us the requirements in order to be used in a great way for him. Everybody wants to be used in a great way for him. But he noticed that the disciples' hearts were in the wrong place. And he says this to them in regards to being a servant. He says, Mark 9, 35, and he sat down and called the 12, the 12 disciples, those that wanted to be great, but their heart was in the wrong place. If anyone desires to be first, everyone wanted to be first, the disciples. If anyone desires to be first, what did he say? He shall be last and servant of all. You want to be great, then you're going to be the last one and serve all. And then he took a little child, he took a little kid. And you know what he said? Because the kids, they were saying, don't bring the kids, put the kids aside. And what did he say here? He took a little child, set him in the midst of them away. And when he had taken him in his arms, he carried that little child. He said, and whoever receives one of these, those that you are not wanting to receive, you see one of these, these little children, in my name, you receive me. And whoever receives me, receives not only me, but him who sent me. What was he teaching them? He was teaching them to cultivate an attitude of a servant. Tychicus was a man that was compassionate, that was faithful, that was a servant but also was one that was enduring. Now, do you see that a man after God's own heart is one that has the right heart and then develops those character qualities that God can use? It would say in verse 22, as it continues, whom I have sent for this very purpose. Now, notice, whom I have sent to you, he sent him. That means that he had to travel, he had to endure the distance in order to fulfill his purpose. Some people never are able to fulfill their purpose because they're not willing to travel the distance. Are you willing to travel the distance so that you can fulfill your purpose? I have sent him to you for this very purpose, endured the distance to fulfill the purpose. What was the purpose? Twofold. It was a twofold purpose. Number one, notice the purpose. For this very purpose, the first reason that you may know of our affairs. That's the number one reason why he said, that you may know about me. Paul was not a missionary. He was not one that had kept his affairs to himself. He didn't say, you know what? I'm keeping this to myself. I'm not gonna let anyone know what I'm doing. No, he wanted to let people know what God was doing through him. He wanted to let people know how God was answering their prayers. He had just asked them to pray for him. They had been praying for him. And he said, I want you to know how God is answering your prayers. I want to give you a report. 
I want to let you know. I want to stay accountable, he's saying here. I want you to know even how Satan is still now oppressing, opposing the work that God wants to do. He's not being selfish. He doesn't want something out of it. What is he saying? Let's do this together. What is he saying? Number one reason why Tychicus is going is to let you know of our affairs. It's, there's so much wisdom in letting other people know. What's the wisdom in letting others know? Even for us that are serving the Lord in ministry, that you can learn from them, that they can help you so that you can grow. Let them know of your affairs. And the second reason, twofold purpose, notice, he didn't send them without a purpose, but with a purpose that he would comfort your hearts. Underline that in your Bible. Comfort your hearts. I've also sent Tychicus so that you would be encouraged. You see that word comfort? It's the Greek word parakleo, which means encourage. In fact, that word to comfort your hearts means I've sent Tychicus so that you would take courage. I sent that brother so that you would be strong. I sent Tychicus to urge you. This is also what it means. It requires here this, this encouragement, this comfort, also comes with them being urged, or I sent them to produce action out of you from the encouragement that you are going to receive. You see, this encouragement that they were to receive would include a call to action. When you're encouraged, it's not simply so that you would become strong. When you're encouraged, it's also so that you would be moved to action. I'm sending him to you to come alongside of you, strengthen you, and then there's a call to action. Now, know this. Encouragement is so important in the family of Christ. You know why? Because it cultivates unity. We all need to be encouraged. Ask yourself today, who's encouraging you right now? Who's encouraging you right now? And who are you encouraging? Do you know that's why we've come together? That's why we gather. The apostle in Hebrews says, come together. Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. In fact, stir one another up to love and good works. The reason why we're here Sunday morning and Wednesday night and we come to prayer meeting and different events and ministries of the church is so that we would continue to be encouraged, growing in God's word and God's grace, and then be moved to action. And that's exactly what he's talking about here, that we would be encouraged by one another. Comfort your hearts. Today, I want to encourage you to encourage someone before you leave church. Right? Sometimes we come to church, and I mean, some of you don't stay for that last song. You just run out. That song is not done yet, and you're, out, you're pulling out of the parking lot. I hope that that person doesn't have eye contact with me because that means I'm going to have to say hi. That's the whole point. <laughs> that we would be encouraged with one another. Nowhere in the New Testament, from a spirit-filled church, do you find isolated believers? Never will you find isolated believers. You know what happens here in the New Testament? You find Christians that are always coming together. Christians are like sheep. They flock together. <laughs> That's how Christians are. They flock together. I've heard it be said before. If you want to go fast, then go alone. But if you want to go far, then go together. Do you want to go fast or do you want to go far? Paul's had already encouraged the church, and now he's sending Tychicus to encourage them. In Ephesians chapter 3.13, note this. Ephesians 3.13, Paul said, Therefore I ask that you don't lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. I'm telling you, don't lose heart. Be encouraged. Even though I'm suffering, he says as a pastor, as a leader, even though I'm going through trials, don't lose heart. This is for your own good. The gospel is still being advanced. He encouraged them already in chapter 3, but also we have a own call of encouragement. Did you know that God has called you to encourage the body of Christ? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.11, Paul told the church of Thessalonica. He told them this very strong encouragement. He says, therefore, comfort, encourage each other, encourage each other, edify, build one another up, just as you also are. Comfort, encourage one another, and build one another up. 
make one another strong. Why? So that you can stay in the race long term. Do you know what kills encouragement in the body of Christ? The reason why oftentimes people do not encourage others? Because of unforgiveness. Because of bitterness. Because of pride. It kills encouragement in the body of Christ. And you know what encouragement does? It builds the body. It's a healthy gift of the Spirit. Tychicus would encourage them with everything that was written in the letter to the Ephesians. Did you know that when they sent a messenger with the letter, they they didn't read it the way that we're reading it right now, sections at a time, studying it in depth, verse by verse. It was an entire long letter. And the messenger would come and he would get the gathering, the assembling of the Christians and wherever he would go, and he would read the entire letter in one sitting. He would stand before the people, read it, and then he would explain. If there's anything that you didn't understand from the writer, let me explain it to you. Tychicus would come with six chapters of encouragement in regards to how the believers were to sit, stand, and walk. And now he ends here with a blessing. That was the encouragement. Verse 23 and 24 are the blessing. And he ends with the four essential cornerstones of our faith, four important virtues that we need to pursue. Peace, love, faith, grace. Circle those in your Bible. Peace, love, faith, grace. All of these sum up the major themes of this letter to the Ephesians. Peace, love, faith, grace. And they're all found in Christ. Peace is found in Christ. The love that is found in Christ. The grace that we receive by Christ. The now faith that we have in Christ. Why? He's pointing them back to the Gospel. He's pointing them back to Jesus. It's not about Paul. It's about Jesus. What did Paul say when he wrote to the Corinthians? He said, who's Paul then? And Apollos. It doesn't matter who we are. We're just ministers through whom you believe. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about peace, love, faith, grace. Jesus. I heard a story of a young boy, 12 years old. He went to church with his mom. And he sat at church with his mom looking towards the front of the pulpit. Behind the stage were big stained glass windows with a picture of Jesus on those stained glass windows. And when he came to church, he sat with his mom. There was a guest speaker, a guest preacher that day. And he tugs at his mom during the message, and the guest preacher that day was much taller than the regular pastor. He tongues at his mom and he says, Mom, I don't like this preacher. Where's the other man? And his mom says, why? He says, I just don't like him. Where's the other one? So he says, why don't you like him? He says, he's too tall. I can't see Jesus because he's standing in the way. You know what Paul does? He points them to Jesus and then he gets out of the way. <laughs> we need to learn to be those people that are pointing people to Jesus and that don't stand in the way. Are you standing in the way today of someone seeing Jesus? Are you you a hindrance? Are you a blessing in people's lives so that they can see Jesus? You see, people seeing Jesus was the number one priority to Paul. So he had to end with peace, love, faith, grace. Notice how he says this now, this blessing, these virtues to grow by in this benediction. The word benediction is beautiful. It means to uh, give or benevolence, something good, done well. Diction, it means to dictate, to say. This is a good saying now, blessings for every believer. Here he's going to share the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Paul, a prisoner in Rome, chained to a Roman guard, understood that he was even richer than the emperor at that time because no matter what the circumstances were, how difficult they could be, he was blessed in Christ in spiritual blessings. Today, no matter what the circumstances are in your life, no matter what the situation is, no matter how difficult you find the problem, 
You are blessed in Jesus Christ because of the blessings that you have in Christ Jesus. This is exactly what he's sharing. And what does he say here? Peace to the brethren. Peace to the brethren. Peace to our dear brothers and sisters. What kind of peace did he speak about? The peace that we have with God because of Jesus. The peace that we have with one another because of Jesus. We've been reconciled. He's broken down that middle wall of separation of racial, racial and culture, of tradition. We have peace of God because of Jesus Christ. We have the peace of mind that we can live the way God wants us to live in this ungodly world, and he's praying this blessing over them. The peace of God. In fact, in Colossians 1.20, Paul says this, and by him to reconcile all things. We have been reconciled together. There's no divisions in the church if we were in Christ Jesus. We've been reconciled to God, all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He has made peace through the blood of his cross. How do we have peace? Through the blood of the cross. Today, if you want peace, it only comes through the blood of the cross. Today, maybe you're struggling about the peace that you have in your life because of the season that you're in. I want you to know you can have peace regardless of the season because of the blood of the cross. As Paul would say, and I will preach nothing else but Christ and him crucified. Why? Because the power is in the blood of the cross. That's where the power is. And he says, peace to the brethren. And notice, and love, and love, to grow in love. We need a full measure of love, receiving his love, giving his love. Knowing that it was by his love that we have been pulled in to this everlasting love. As it's been said, love is the birthmark of the believer. Love is the indication that you're a Christian and that you're saved and you're filled with the Spirit of God. Love. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, The Lord appeared of old to me. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness. Hesed is the word. Hebrew word, hesed. I've loved you with loving kindness. I have drawn you. Christ has pulled you in with loving kindness. Notice how he refers them back to the love of Christ. And then we would grow in it and then display it. Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples. By what? Love. Love what? Love with faith. Notice that, with faith or faithfulness from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do these things come from? People think that you can find peace and love outside of Christ. You cannot find peace and love outside of Christ. Anything that you look in the world, you know what the world offers? Substitutes. Substitutes. But peace and love come by trusting in Christ through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, if you need love, today, if you need peace, put your trust in Jesus Christ. Put your trust as your personal Lord and Savior. Peace and love through Jesus Christ, that you're living to trust him. This is what he's talking about. In fact, Isaiah 26, 3, what does the prophet say? You keep him in perfect peace. You will keep him in perfect peace. Today you want peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, because you have peace by the love of God, because you're trusting in the Lord. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And every single thing you do, acknowledge him. Pause, wait, acknowledge him, pray about it stop, and then he will direct your paths. Trust in God, don't trust in yourself. You know what the world wants you to do? To trust in yourself, to trust in your power, to trust in your finances. Well, I mean, th look at the economy. It's not going well. <laughs> but you know what doesn't change? The loving kindness of God. It never changes in value. It's always so rich. The loving kindness of God. Love is reaching down. Faith is reaching up. And then he says what here in verse 24? Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. May God's grace from start to finish, because he started with grace in chapter 1, to finish in grace is unlimited, undeserved favor be eternally upon you 
from our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who love the Lord in sincerity. Grace to who? Notice, grace be with those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in what? Sincerity. You want to receive God's grace? You want to continue to grow in God's grace? Then notice, we, go, we can receive God's grace by humbling ourselves. By humbling ourselves. What does the Bible say? He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Today, you want his grace? All of us need it. Humble yourself. Receive his grace. Second Peter says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus 2, it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation appear to all men. You have seen the goodness of God. You've seen his grace. So it teaches us to deny any type of ungodliness, worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. What does that mean? After receiving his grace today, me and you, we ought to respond to his grace by loving him in sincerity. Romans 12.1, what does it say? Because of the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Those who love God in sincerity. Now I want you to circle that word finally, sincerity. Because it means those who love God with an uncorrupted love. Without an ulterior motive. Those who love God with an undying love. Amen. What is corrupting your love for the Lord today? Do you do you truly love him with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might? Or do you have an, a divided heart? He's saying, grace be on those who do not have a divided heart, who love the Lord with an undivided heart. If today something is in your heart that you're holding on to, that you love, that's competing the love with the love that you have for Christ, you know what that's called? An idol. We have to love the Lord in sincerity. The Apostle John says this when he writes to the church, do not love the world. When, when, if the Lord examines your heart, is the love of the world there or the love for God there? Or the things of the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We ought to love God in sincerity for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the things that bring me pleasure, the lust of the eyes, the things that I can see that I want, or the pride of life, thinking that I need status, or I need to be known. Notice what it says. Or I, I need to be successful. That's the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. All of those are worldly principles. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Today we want to love the Lord, only the Lord, and nothing but the Lord, to say, in our heart, we love him in sincerity. In, in our heart, we love him in sincerity. Why? Because he taught us how to sit in heavenly places, how to walk, and then how to stand. That our love would be sincere. Can we pray?